We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Napa A Napa guy knows that by the foot, there's no better ride than an old station wagon. Room for six people facing forward, two people facing backward, and a whole lot of luggage, lumber, and bicycles haphazardly strapped to the roof. If you can parallel park that beast, you can park anything. And with some quality parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep your land ship running longer, stronger. It's not obsolete. It's a rare treasure. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Welcome to the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast brought to you by NoHalftime.com. Derek Van Riper joined today by Nick Whalen. You can find Nick on Twitter at Whalen, but the L is a one. I'm at Derek Van Riper. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, could take a moment to leave us a nice review. We would greatly appreciate that. Thanks to those of you who have already taken care of that over these past few weeks or at some point in a previous season. Uh, we're going to go through and take a quick look at every game Going down here in week one, we're a few hours away from kickoff in the Thursday night matchup between the Panthers and Broncos. 
I will start there and kind of look at key headlines around the league as we shuffle through. Starting with the Panthers-Broncos Super Bowl rematch, of course. Panthers three-point favorites in this one. Uh, you look at the over-under at 41. It comes out to an implied score of Panthers 22, Broncos 19. To me, it's weird that the defending champs are underdogs at home on a night where clearly the crowd's going to be amped up. And uh, this is going to be one of those things where it's a tough environment for Carolina anyway, but you get the extra push from the 12th man, perhaps. And then aside from that, we just don't know what to make of Trevor Simeon. I don't think Trevor Simeon can be worse than Peyton Manning was last year. I don't think that's going to happen at all. I agree. I agree. I'm worried about Trevor Simeon. I mean, what? It's hard to imagine this guy who really wasn't very good, at least statistically, at the college level. We haven't seen him, like you said, at all at the NFL level. Um, we really, we don't even know really the level of competition he was going up against. You know, it's Mark Sanchez, Paxton Lynch uh, during during the preseason. So. My expectations for Trevor Simeon are are very low. I'm surprised to see the line at Carolina by three. I like the Panthers in this game, um, but but I'm surprised at, at how much I guess Vegas likes them. Uh, to, to me, though, it's just it's just hard to put my faith in Trevor Simeon. And like you said, Peyton Manning did not play well for this team for most of last season. But at least with Peyton Manning, he was going to go up and make the right football play. You know, you're sending a guy up to the line who couldn't throw the ball further than 17 yards downfield, but you had the confidence at least that he was going to make the correct throw. Maybe it wasn't going to be on target. Maybe it wasn't going to be you know as hard as he was throwing the ball in 2013, but he was going to make the right football play. He was going to limit mistakes, and, and he was going to go up there, and if they're in, you know, the defense is in a coverage that he doesn't like, he's going to check out of it, get to a running play, even if it doesn't go for 25 yards, it's the right play. With Trevor Simeon, you're kind of throwing that confidence that you have in a veteran like Peyton Manning out the window. We don't know if his skill level is any higher than Manning's was last season. And to me, there's no way that he can be anywhere close to where Manning was on a mental level. Well, he doesn't have to be anywhere near where Manning was pre-2015 as far as the output goes, because we saw Denver win the Super Bowl last year despite the play they were getting from Manning and Brock Osweiler at quarterback. Osweiler was better than Manning for whatever that's worth. Uh, But last season, Manning was picked off in 5.1% of his passing attempts. That's That's a crazy high. Nine TDs against 17 picks, only played 10 games. That was in 331 regular season attempts. I think what makes it difficult to evaluate Trevor Simeon is that he shared time at Northwestern with Kane Coulter. As a senior, he tore his ACL late in that year. And What's not to like? What's not to like? <laughs> and then name, name one quality skill position player that's played at Northwestern and then gone on to play in the NFL in the past 10 years. You know, the name Tyrell Sutton comes to mind. I don't think he played in the NFL at all, though. Might have been on a roster through training yeah, camp. Kind of a Capri or... Bibbs type of guy. Right, yeah, yeah, the, the good, good Capri Shout Bibbs out to Capri. comp. Did uh, he make the roster? Yeah. He did? He made oh, the that's roster. Great. You might awesome. see him get a carry or two tonight. Oh, yeah. Uh, are you sitting Cam in places where you have him tonight, though? I mean, Denver. Matt, I, I have a choice. The in the one league that I do have Cam, I have a choice between him and Matt Ryan. And Ryan gets Tampa. Ryan gets Tampa. I think I, I'd play I'm Matt go- Ryan. I think I'm, I'm leaning Cam right now. I mean, you look at the projections just about everywhere I've seen. They're pretty similar. Um, I'd like to think that Cam's going to bounce back. And, you know, he seems like the type of guy who would kind of stew on on a loss like that in the Super Bowl. And he really didn't play all that well in that game. And, uh, I mean, as I've said on this podcast before, I'm not of the belief that last season was a fluke by any means for this Carolina offense. I think the weapons around Cam are improved. So, you know, I think if you have that choice, it's certainly one you have to consider. To me, like Matt Ryan is like almost where I would draw the line. You know, if there's a quarterback that's any worse than Matt Ryan, I wouldn't start him over Cam. Uh, but there are quite a few guys. You know, Aaron Rodgers, obviously Andrew Luck, Russell Wilson, who you 
you probably don't have on a team with Cam Newton, but right. um, you know, plenty of quarterbacks uh, ahead of Matt Ryan that I would probably choose over Cam Newton. But for now, I'm leaning Newton. No, uh, Newton, Newton, it the is gra- for the Nick. ground threat. Yeah, he is. I, I just, I wonder. I just wonder if the passing output is going to be so low that it's kind of that 15 to 16 point fantasy output you're going to get. That's sort of like a, a higher end expectation. Do we do we expect this Denver defense to be as dominant as they were last season? Close to it's realistic. It. Yeah. I think it's realistic. I mean, did they lose Malik Jackson to, to the Jags? Uh, any other? I think they lost. They lost the linebacker, didn't they? I thought they lost one of the linebackers. Too, I mean, for the most but... part, it's intact. I think compared to a lot of Super Bowl winning defenses, they didn't have that much attrition. So I, I don't. I don't know if it's maybe they're not going to be as dominant as they were in the Super Bowl, or, or certainly down the stretch of that season. I think that's almost an unsustainable level of play, but. Um, you know, to, to me, this Carolina offense, you know, could be and should be probably top five in the league. So we're going to have a great defense against a great offense. The great defense won out in the Super Bowl. Uh, and I guess personally, I think the, the great offense in Carolina is going to win out this time around. All right. Well, we're on opposite sides of this game. I think Denver, especially getting three points, not only covers, but actually mm-hmm. wins this game outright. Uh, moving on to the Bucks and Falcons. Bucks three-point underdogs going on the road. Two teams that seem pretty even coming into the season. Big over-under number in this one. Uh, implied score is Falcons 25, Bucks 22. I think Tampa Bay is better, except it's September. Atlanta's always better in September than they are the rest of the season. I think this will be a pretty nice shootout, though, going both ways. I would just take the Bucks and the points as far as, like, Pickens are concerned. Jameis, to me, though, is going to become a top-five quarterback this year, and week one is going to be kind of the first step in that process. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this Falcons defense, especially against the pass, was improved last season, but I think they kind of still carry that that stink of the last few years of how, how they defended, especially some of those offenses in the NFC South. To me, this is a complete toss-up. I'm with you. I think you take Tampa with the points. Um, you know, just because it probably could be that close of a game, but you know, we talked before the podcast. There's about mm, eight to eleven games this week that you know, just about any result wouldn't surprise you too much. And this one probably falls right in the middle of those. Week one is definitely one of the most difficult weeks as far as figuring out which side you'd like to come out on top. The other thought I had about this game really is just pertaining to the receivers behind Julio Jones. I mean, what if Mohamed Sanu is actually good because of the offense he plays in, specifically in the red zone, because Julio Jones draws so much attention. They've never really replaced Tony Gonzalez, of course, not really shoes he can fill with another player, but they haven't really come close to doing it. And if you think back to this time last year, I think the expectation was that Roddy White still had something left in the tank. Clearly he didn't. But Sanu might just be the kind of guy that, because the opportunity catches 60 or 65 balls this year in matchups like this one against Tampa Bay, turns in a pretty nice performance and ends up getting you know eight or nine TDs because Jones will just pull that much coverage in close. Yeah, I mean, I, it's not hard to see Mohamed Sanu ending up with those type of numbers. You almost have to wonder, though, is it a product of he just happens to be the number two in this offense? Is he really going to be producing those numbers or is it just kind of a product of playing alongside Julio Jones? I guess from a fantasy perspective, it really doesn't matter all that much. I'm not really too enthused with this Atlanta offense, I think they could have used a bigger upgrade uh, at the wide receiver position. I mean, Sanu is a, is a nice player to me. He's a borderline two, you know, second, third receiver. Uh, I think they could have used a little more firepower next to Julio Jones. So, I mean, we'll see. Maybe Justin Hardy steps up, hasn't really shown much at all thus far. Uh, don't really love the tight end situation. They have a couple guys, maybe maybe Jacob Tammy, maybe it's Austin Hooper who emerges. But, I mean, to me, this has the makings of another 8-8, eight and eight, maybe 9-7 and seven season. That does seem like the ceiling, 9-7 and seven for Atlanta. 
We'll see if they're able to hold on at home in their opener. Uh, Bills-Ravens in Baltimore, another pretty close matchup, really, in terms of of talent. I I like the Bills better as a team overall this year, but Baltimore's pesky enough where, especially at home, you just don't look at them as a pushover. Bills are getting three in this. Ravens running back situation's a mess. Your implied score is 24-21 Ravens for, for what that's worth, but... I don't know how much Justin Forsett's going to carry the ball compared to Terrence West. I still don't know if Javorius Allen's the third down back. I think it's going to be a split between the first two on the carries and then Allen being the primary third down guy. I just don't know. So getting some insight to that will certainly be helpful. But this game for me is all about Sammy Watkins and LaShawn McCoy. I mean, they're the key weapons, of course, for the Bills. But I think Sammy Watkins has the potential to outproduce DeAndre Hopkins this year in fantasy production. And I, I think with... With that upside, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of hype. The only question, of course, is that he is coming back from a foot injury, and you just don't know how he holds up over the course of the season. So I'm excited to watch Sammy Watkins play this week. At the same time, I don't have any shares. I only have one share of Watkins, uh, as far as I'm aware. I, I did have to go into auto-draft, uh, regrettably, earlier this week. I, I agreed. I know, I know. It, it's the sin, and I hate how? when people do it. Well, I, have a, I think you'll, uh, you'll take my side in this after I explain. I committed to join a league with a friend of mine who lived out in Wyoming for a few years during college, and it was his, his Wyoming buddies. And he's like, oh, we need one more. You know, sure, I'll jump in. Draft time was scheduled at midnight our time, Central, which he was like, oh, that's only 11 p.m. there, which is still, like, that's way still too really late, late, right? He's like, oh, they must, they must not have accounted for the time change. Like, yeah, it'd be one thing if, we, if they were in, like, Hawaii time and, you know, we're looking at, 10 or you know nine o'clock for them even but yeah so I, I the draft started at midnight and I at first I was like you know I'll do my first couple picks and and then throw it an auto draft fell asleep before I could even do that that's a late start a midnight start for draft. a draft that's I'll, I know. I'll, I'll I'll let this one go uh, at this point and it's the cardinal sin it really is it is Bears and Texans in Houston Bears getting five and a half which doesn't seem like enough to me I think Houston's going to cover the five and a half and win this game uh, pretty easily. The Bears, to me, just aren't good. Maybe they're a little more pesky defensively than expected, or they hang around and keep games close. But offensively, it's Elshon Jeffrey, and then you know Kevin White still kind of finding his way. I don't have a lot to like about the run game, so maybe Jeremy Langford will prove me wrong. I'm just not expecting to see that. But do you like Brock Osweiler as an option on the other side? Because he's one of those players that if you drafted Cam and you didn't draft a backup in a 10- or a 12-team league... Osweiler might be the highest projected scoring quarterback available on the waiver wire for week one. Like, would you make that swap if you're thinking about that move? You mean Cam for Osweiler? For this week? Mm, eh, no, I don't think so. <clears throat> I mean, the, I think the Bears are going to be without at least their top two corners, maybe their top three corners Jeez. in this game. So, I mean, it, things are shaping up pretty well for Houston, but in week one of the Osweiler era, I think I'm going to, you know, you got you to take the reigning MVP uh in that in that situation maybe i i I like osweiler overall this season i'm just not ready to commit this early i guess i mean does does this line at six i'm seeing six and we have five and a half here that whatever espn uses has six is that a little too high no it should be bigger should be like are the texans that good should be like nine like houston's way better than chicago i don't i don't know if houston's good i just i believe the bears to be very bad you look like you're having all sorts of trouble yeah the mic the mic's coming down on me here yeah, we'll see how this goes in the next few minutes if, if Whalen gets crushed by yeah, a, if you, a If you hear a, like a yelping noise, that's not DVR. No, it's, it will not be. It'll, it'll be me just leaving the room and letting <laughs> Nick try to figure it out. Uh, Packers-Jags happening in Duval. You will be there 
for the very first time making, making a trip to the yeah. homeland, as you've said. Right, yeah. It's kind of, kind of the, my, my personal pilgrimage to Mecca, if you will. You know, I'm going to be among friends watching a football game, uh, an NFL football game, I should say, for the first time in my life. So no longer will I be the obnoxious guy wearing a Mark Brunel jersey at Lambeau Field. Um, that'll now be my dad and, and the two friends that I'm going with who will be all decked out in Packers gear. You'll be the guy sitting by the hot tub wearing a Tracy McGrady t-shirt instead in Duval. Yeah, well, I haven't packed yet. So the number of Tracy McGrady shirts slash jerseys that are making the trip uh, has not yet been decided. Tracy McGrady is a Florida native, so I think that'll be well received down there, but we'll see. I, mean, I am flying into Orlando, as we know, where, where Tracy spent the better part of his NBA career. So uh, a lot of momentum, I guess, for me personally heading into this trip. Maybe he will be there. Implied score in this one, Packers 26, Jags 22. Packers favored by about 4.5 over under 48. Seems about right. Jordy Nelson coming back, didn't play in the preseason. I think he's the biggest storyline with the Packers because his absence last year completely changed the complexion of the offense. On top of that, Eddie Lacy wasn't quite the Eddie Lacy we expected, so the running game wasn't quite as good as we expected. And with Nelson... I just wonder, is he really going to see the full complement of snaps? I know Mike McCarthy said he's full bore earlier this week. He talking about Nelson, not talking about himself. <laughs> he kind of is, though, too. McCarthy kind of is full he's bore. He's full bore for the last couple of years. He, he became full bore when he stopped shaving yeah. a few years ago. He's kinda, it's kind of like McCarthy versus Brett Bielema to see right. who can like. Well, really he's like, just... McCarthy's full bore, like B-O-A-R, right? Well, they're both full bore, like B-O-A-R. Oh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, Nelson, you're right, you're B-O-R-E, but... yeah. But Bielema no, right. is like capital B O A R, all caps. Maybe maybe, maybe, maybe bold, all maybe caps. Maybe some underline. Yeah, he's like <laughs> since leaving Wisconsin, Brett Bielema has taken on the physical likeness of a Razorback. Like he has. he has gone all in on that. And I don't know if it's his choice. I think it's just kind of it's like an evolutionary thing. You just get down there, you start living that lifestyle, and before you know it. The life of the fried lifestyle? Right. Ideally, and maybe not for you ideally, but you know, ideally Mike McCarthy maybe gets the can this season. He was on somewhat of a hot seat, and he goes and joins Bielema's coaching staff in mm. Arkansas. McCarthy is an offensive coordinator in the SEC. Interesting. I like, I like the sound of that, except for the fact that the Packers would have to be horrible this year for that to right. actually happen. Uh, looking at this game, I mean, I think Allen Robinson's going to go off that Kind of goes without saying. I think he's the safest player in the Jacksonville offense by a huge margin. What I want to see is how much Alan Hearns is involved compared to the other pass catchers now that Julius Thomas is fully healthy, now that Marquise Lee is back in the fold. And, of course, how do the Jags run the ball with their combination of Chris Ivory and TJ Yeldon? We've been specking that maybe Ivory's the red zone guy. Yeldon maybe gets more carries overall. But value-wise, that's, that's a tough toss-up. It's really hard to tell. I mean, Ivory could just take the starting job, and it could be like yeah. 15 carries for Ivory and 7 for Yeldon. Yeah, I mean, in a week one game like this, you know, that, that they've been preparing for really for most of the preseason and certainly the last couple of weeks, I'm assuming a lot of the game plan is going to be scripted. You know, they're going to have plays where they get Chris Ivory going. They're going to have plays where they get TJ Yeldon going. You know, in the first three weeks of the preseason when the starters were out there, it was Yeldon who was working mostly, you know, between the 20s and when they got down in close to the red zone, it was more of Chris Ivory. And I think that's exactly what we're going to see. But at the same time, like you implied, it wouldn't be a surprise if Ivory, being the veteran, being you know the more polished, uh, durable runner at this point in his career, kind of ends up maybe emerging as a 60-40 uh, beneficiary of that split. But I think at least for this week and probably for the first couple weeks, they're going to do their best. I mean, Yeldon's a second-round pick. This is a guy they have an investment in. They're not necessarily looking to push him out by any means. So, um, I mean, the value beyond those guys, you definitely don't want to be looking at anywhere near Denard Robinson. You know, he had a couple big games over these last few years when – when guys like Yeldon and Gerhardt were hurt, but 
you know, I think with, with the two backs that Jacksonville has now, there's not much value beyond that. And I even, I wouldn't even touch Marquise Lee, you know, how I feel about Marquise Lee overall, but um, I mean, I, we have to see him stay healthy and be on the field for more than two weeks in a row before I'm willing to trust him in any capacity. No, I think that's fair, but I stayed away from the Jags backs, even in leagues where I basically punted running back where I waited until after the first four or five rounds to, uh, to make a move. Let's talk Chargers and Chiefs. Chargers, seven-point underdogs going on the road. Arrowhead, that one might come out like 26-19 favoring Chiefs. Phillip Rivers did some pretty poor career numbers at Arrowhead. It's a Spencer Ware love fest, really, mm-hmm. is what we're seeing right now. And season-long and in DFS, of course, the price is low on the daily sites because he wasn't expected to have this much of a role in Week 1, but now it looks like he'll be the lead ball carrier. Might even catch some passes, too. Sharkandrick West slowed by an elbow injury, as we know, in recent weeks. We'll see how much he's on the field, but it doesn't seem like Jamal Charles is going to play much if he even plays at all. I think the big question is, if on the San Diego side, are you sitting Phillip Rivers down? Because in many situations, if you have Phillip Rivers, you do have a viable alternative because mm-hmm. you probably took him as your low-end QB1 or high-end QB2. I mean, what kind of what kind of players are you playing over Phillip Rivers with a tough matchup for Rivers at KC? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, if you have Rivers, like you said, you probably either have, you know, he's either your second quarterback and you have one of the top, you know, three or four guys, so you're probably going to play them, or you have another similar caliber quarterback uh, that, that you were able to get a little bit later. So, I mean, if you're comparing him to Derek Carr going at New Orleans, do you go Carr? Carr at New Orleans, yes. Yeah, Tyrod Ty at sure. Baltimore? Yes. Yep. Um, what about Flacco against the Bills on the other side of that? Mm, no. I okay. I really just I, I, mean, it's well, tough, I want to know that Flacco's healthy. I think that's a decent I don't, I don't spot. Think, I don't think we're going to go through. You're not going to feel great about it either way if these are the guys that you're deciding between. You know, I think I'm with you on Carr for sure. I mean, I'm always everybody always wants to target that Saints defense and for good reason. Um, but I mean, the, Rivers had some games last year where if he was out of your lineup, you were kicking yourself. So I think that's kind of where it, where it comes in for me. You don't want to be missing out when he has one of those, you know, 45 attempt games. Yeah, it just seems like KC's got a good enough defense that'll really slow down the San Diego offense. What do you think about using Dak this week over Phillip Rivers? Uh, I don't know. That's a t- that's a tough one too. I I I prefer to always wait and see on guys like Prescott, you know, relatively or very unproven in his case uh quarterbacks but you also don't want to be missing out as i just said with rivers on the week that he does go off i mean i think i would lean toward rivers barely uh just because we haven't really seen this this dallas offense you know in full uh with dak prescott at the helm so to me it's rivers but you can make a case i mean i I like this giants defense i don't love them i certainly don't love them as much as the the chiefs d I think they're going to keep it closer. The Chargers are going to keep it closer than yep. Vegas expects. But I think so, too. I do think the Chiefs win this game, so I would take the Chargers with the points for whatever that's worth. Uh, and that Packers-Jags matchup, I think the Packers cover. I think they win by, like, six or more. I think it's not going yeah, to gonna gonna be lopsided. To no. I think Jacksonville's a, a decent team, but I think this is one where Green Bay goes in and take care right. of business, so we're probably in I'm, lockstep there. I'm a little worried about the Green Bay offense, and I, I try to say that impartially. And not it's not because of the Jags-D. I, I just, I'm not 100% convinced that... You just take Jordy Nelson out of this offense, and everything they they just lost. You know, all composure. Nobody could get open. Nobody could do anything like that. To me, that just seems a little a little bit drastic. And not, not to take anything away from Jordy Nelson, but I mean, could there be more underlying problems than just that? I'm not willing to just say, all right, we'll plug Jordy Nelson in, and things will be back to where they were two years ago. Randall Cobb was hurt. Ty yeah. Montgomery got hurt. Sure. Uh, Jared Abrederis even got hurt when he started playing. I mean, there were a lot of other injuries, and I mm-hmm. think again, the running game not being where it was. 
uh, all of those factors combined. It took a few weeks, it seemed like, for teams to figure out right. they could defend the Packers differently, too, because mm-hmm. it didn't tailspin immediately at the start of last year. Right. You know, we had, they had the five TD game. Aaron Rodgers went off against the Chiefs uh, in that week three game last season. I uh, played pretty well against San Francisco, put a couple TDs up against the Rams. I mean, he, he wasn't wasn't bad to start the year. He was efficient against the Bears in week one of last year, played pretty well against the Seahawks in that Sunday night game last year as well. So it just seemed like the wheels really fell off once we got to that Denver mm-hmm. game in particular. Yeah. That's when they were maybe exposed a little bit by that Denver defense. Yeah. A team saw that film and thought, okay, we're going to do what Denver mm-hmm. did to the best of our ability, and that's ultimately going to work. But I mean, were you okay with for the most part, Rodgers kind of, or the criticism, I guess, avoiding Rodgers, he didn't necessarily deflect it. It was just not really pointed at him. I I don't really know what he was supposed to have done differently. I mean, I think most players in the league would have done no better than that, and many would have done worse than what he did last year. He made the most pretty bad situation, Mm -hmm. uh, kept the team competitive. So I, I, the guy can do wrong. I don't think he was doing wrong last year in that scheme. It It was a mess in the second half of last season in particular. Moving on to the Raiders and Saints. Highest over-under on the board, I believe, is 51. It's this game. Uh, Raiders are one-and-a-half-point underdogs. I buy into the Saints' home road splits as far as them being a significantly better team in New Orleans than they are elsewhere. I think the Raiders are good enough to put points on the board against the Saints, though, so I understand the big over-under and the, and the close line. That being said, I think the Saints win by more than a point-and-a-half. I think they win fairly convincingly. Maybe they pull away late. Uh, even if the Raiders do keep pace, I think it's going to be more like a 38-24, 38-27, 38-30, something along those lines, even though the implied is 27-25 favoring the Saints. Uh, one player I really like this week is Willie Sneed. He's one player I would bump up slightly. I know a lot of people are looking at Michael Thomas, and he might emerge to be a viable red zone threat immediately. But Snead has that breakaway speed. We saw a lot of efficiency from him last year. And I feel like you're going to take shots with him in season-long or in DFS. You want to do it in a situation like this one where the Saints are at home. And the Saints were a 500 team at home last season. I think that you know that, that mystique that you know it was tough to go into the Dome and win has kind of worn off a little bit, at least over these last couple of years. I don't think Drew Brees is is quite the same as he was even maybe two years ago. So I think I like the Raiders in this game. Um, of course, they're a little bit more of an unproven commodity, uh, just given the consistency that New Orleans has had you know, at the skill positions. But uh, as far as Michael Thomas goes, I do like him. I mean, I think it seemed like he kind of peaked you know, week one of the preseason. And again, you never want to take too much from the preseason. But his, his hype kind of wore off a little bit. Um, it's always tough to predict you know, which receivers beyond you know, the top one or two in New Orleans are going to end up you know, catching touchdowns when Drew Brees has a four or five touchdown game, but there's certainly going to be scores to be had in this one. I mean, I'm I'm completely on board with this being the highest over under of the week, but I think I'm leaning towards Oakland. I mean, I'm not much of a Michael Crabtree fan for this year. I know the volume was there last year, but the efficiency wasn't. This is one of the rare spots where I like him, especially mm-hmm. if you're in a full point PPR league. I think somebody asked us on the XM show, they said, would you play Michael Crabtree over Jarvis Landry in a PPR league this week? And it's one of the rare weeks where I would, because I think Jarvis think so. Landry sees that Seattle defense probably gets a lot of uh, coverage from Richard Sherman. And I think with that, that really takes a, a chunk away from the floor that Landry usually brings to the table. It's kind of a, maybe it's against the grain, but I just feel better about going after the Saints defense with the Raiders number two mm-hmm. receiver 
than throwing a mediocre number one receiver like Landry up against a good right. defense like Seattle. And, and Landry's not your typical number one, you know, like you said, mediocre number one. You know, doesn't really fit the bill of uh I mean Devontae Parker, I think, is eventually who they kind of want to be that number one. And and there are even a couple guys, Stills, Carew, who look good in the preseason to kind of maybe vulture a couple targets. In Oakland it's Amari Cooper and then it's very firmly Michael Crabtree and there's a drop off after that. Yeah, that's true. It, it's a relatively skinny tree for now. We'll see if it stays that way. Clive Walford's a player I would watch pretty closely. I think the tight end for Oakland, I think he could emerge mm-hmm. to be a useful asset for fantasy owners sooner rather than later. Uh, one more game to get to in the top half of this pod. Browns four-point underdogs on the road in Philly. Implied score in that one comes out to about 23-19 favoring the Eagles. Chalk this up as the game that I just understand the least. I have no real clear expectation for either one of these offenses. I'm not sure how good the defenses are. How is Philly favored in this game? I get that they're at home. Favored by four. Like, <laughs> four. I, I, getting just the, the, the three for being at home, maybe I could see that. I, Vegas hates Robert Griffin, I guess? I guess. I don't know. They're, the Eagles just seem to be trading away all their good players. They have a quarterback starting who we don't even know if he's any good whatsoever. We don't even know how well he knows the offense. This, this is going to be a fun game to watch. I think, right? I mean, this might this might have the highest kind of unintentional entertainment value of the weekend. Oh, I I think this one is one that I actually will flip to a little bit. Right. If I, I mean, I'm on Packers Jags on at the same time. Mm-hmm. Got to get the dual screens going. If I go off red zone, Browns Eagles is actually pretty high on my list. It's probably the Browns are going to be fun to watch no matter what. And then you throw in this complete wild card Week One Eagles team. I think you look at that game. You look at the Raiders, Saints, and you look yep. at Bucks Falcons, Bucks, Falcons as the really other good. games from that early block. I kind of want to keep an eye on Minnesota, Tennessee, too. I don't think Tennessee is going to be as boring as they're trying no. to sell us. Like they I think won't. they're going to be, be pretty balanced offensively. Yeah. They threw it more than people realized last year. Yeah. And Minnesota's a good test for them out of the gate. I like that it's at home for Tennessee as well. Mm-hmm. That could be one of the better early games to watch. I mean, this is a good slate, actually, for week one, even though it's it's difficult to chip away at it. Um, talking about some key players in this game, we'll track the status of Jordan Matthews through Friday, so we'll talk about him a bit more tomorrow. I'm worried about Duke Johnson. I got, I've got one share. I got him in my home league. It's a half-point PBR league. I'm sitting him for Kristen Michael because I think the way that Seattle de- the depth chart is lined up right now, even if it doesn't stay that way, Michael in week one seems like he's going to get a larger share of the touches than Thomas Rawls, especially now that they made that official on a depth mm-hmm. chart, air quote unofficial. I just think it's going to be like a 15-10, 15-8, 17-8 split favoring Michael, and I think he's always had yeah. the tools. It's just a matter of putting it together. Right, and this should be a productive offense. So you know, I don't, They're not going to lean on Christian Michael to carry him, but you know, if Russell Wilson's moving the ball pretty well, there's going to be red zone opportunities there. I'm with you on that choice. Um, I mean, we'll get to Seattle, Miami later, but this Seattle's favored by ten in that game, and that seems like a little bit much to me uh, for a team that had its struggles, especially during the first half of last season. Um, but but I'm interested to get your take on the Seahawks when we get to that in a little bit. Absolutely. Well, you're staring at your weekly fantasy opponent right now, and you're thinking to yourself, "I would love to challenge just one of his or her players, not just the entire team." But your fantasy sports service doesn't allow you to do that. Now you can do that on the all-new No Halftime app. The No Halftime app allows you to create individual challenges using players or teams. For example, you can pit Beckham versus Brown, Cam versus Rogers, or even Ezekiel Elliott versus Todd Gurley. 
Creating a challenge takes seconds, and accepting challenges is even easier. No halftime challenges can be private or public and created for the NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, PGA, and other sports. Visit NoHalftime.com for more information and to download the No Halftime app for your iPhone or Android device. Use the promo code ROTOFF16 and receive a 100% bonus up to $25. Real money and fantasy supremacy awaits you. No halftime where the fantasy sports season never takes a break. Join today and get started. Moving on to the Bengals and Jets. Implied score in that one, 22-19, favoring the Bengals. They're two-and-a-half-point favorites, pretty low over-under. Do you think the Jets' defense is this good? Do you think Cincinnati's offense without Tyler Eifert might struggle? Uh, I think this this game won't be quite as low-scoring as Vegas expects. This this one, much like... You know, like I said, seven or eight other games that we've talked about is such a toss up to me. I, I I like the Bengals in a you know if you want to put a neutral site in a vacuum, whatever, however you want to phrase it. I like this Bengals team better, but on the road at the Jets, I mean, this is a playoff caliber team in New York last season. They didn't make the playoffs, but certainly uh, kind of had the look of a playoff team. And I think they they really didn't get a whole lot worse. I think swapping out Ivory for Forte is probably a wash at the end of the day. Maybe Forte makes them a little more dynamic. Uh, but at the same time, he doesn't really offer that power that Chris Ivory does. So, um, you know, I, I think I'm going to end up going with Cincinnati in this one. I don't love the Jets' defense. Uh, I, I think the A.J. Green, Darrell Revis matchup makes me a little bit nervous, though, if I am an A.J. Green owner. Yeah, I, I think A.J. Green's good enough where you still play him anyway, oh, right. though. I, you just dial back the expectations avoid him in dfs obviously just yeah i mean it's just sorry to interject but are the, it, with all these top tier receivers you know where, where do you make the cutoff as far as guys that you just wouldn't bench against any matchup mm. not that i need a certain player i guess but are there like you know seven eight nine ten receivers that you just have to have if brown, they're on your roster yeah brown beckham robinson julio green hopkins mike evans hearns lee yeah, Thomas. yeah right all, right. all, all jags right. at least those first seven and then I think maybe even depending on your alternatives, that list gets yeah. quite a I bit longer. I think you longer. just start to get too cute, you know, and you, you're benching, you know, you're maybe your first round pick in A.J. Green because you're worried about a cornerback. And not that a lot of people are necessarily doing that, but I, I think you can overthink it. I, I think you definitely can overthink it. And it's one of those situations where, you know, those guys are going to give up the occasional big play or they don't move sides of the field or something happens. Like it, there's blown coverage every once in a while. I mean, great players are great players for a reason. So they can go toe-to-toe. Some weeks the defensive player comes out on top. Other weeks the offensive player gets the best of them. And it's because that player has elite skills. So I, I just look at it as a case where your top seven, top eight type players, they still get thrown in the lineup every week, even if they're matched up against Arevis. Or last season, Josh Norman, I think, was getting that sort of treatment from fantasy owners as well. One more thought on this Bengals-Jets game. What kind of expectation do you have for Tyler Boyd now that the season's about to start? Because I mentioned Eifert not being there. There are targets up for grabs behind A.J. Green, especially mm-hmm. in a matchup where Green's going to get so much attention from Revis. Right. We could see uh, maybe Brandon LaFell or Tyler Boyd push that 8 to possibly 10 target range as the number mm-hmm. 2. Yeah, I like Tyler Boyd quite a bit. You know, At the end of my drafts, I've been finding... Um, it's always it's always fun and a little bit tempting to to kind of gamble on a rookie at the end of a draft. And it's, if you're choosing between Laquan Treadwell, Josh Doxson, you know, in some drafts even Corey Coleman has fallen that far, or Tyler Boyd, you know, I think you typically if Coleman's available, you want to go there. But I, of the other three, I think you have to go with Tyler Boyd. I think he's in the best situation. He's the healthiest right now. If you want to talk Josh Doxson, um, and if you think Andy Dalton can kind of rebound and and have another big regular season. 
I don't really think there's any reason for Tyler Boyd, you know, not to have a spot in this offense. Brandon LaFell basically flunked out in New England. Uh, I, I don't know if his his stranglehold on that number two job is all that strong right now. And and like you said, with Tyler Eifert out for at least a couple of weeks, and we don't really know if or when he he's going to get back to full health. I think at least in these first few weeks of the season, there's room for Tyler Boyd. And then you know by that time, hopefully he's a little bit more acclimated. Even when Tyler Eifert is back, or even if Brandon LaFell you know starts to slip a little bit, and you know come week seven, come week eight, maybe he's able to to kind of usurp LaFell for that second spot. Yeah, I mean maybe won't even take that long. I think you're right. You don't want to take the chance on New England castoffs, and that's certainly what LaFell was. Yeah. Health may have been. You, you want to go the but... other way with that. You want New England to be bringing in these guys. Right. Well, then then you kind of feel like maybe you didn't right. get something out of that player I wonder how the Bills feel about Chris Hogan being in New England right now when they don't right. really have great depth it's funny how that receiver. works that's like a death sentence you know you write off a guy the fan base probably hates him but then as soon as New England snaps him up that kind of that kind of gives him some more clout yeah yeah you get to get the hate mail in the right. newspaper you idiots I can't believe you let Chris Hogan walk right. for four million a year if, if the Patriots liked him there has to be something good about him I'll take the Bengals uh, actually, no, I, <laughs> I don't I know. It's tough. I'll, I'm, I'm taking the Jets at home, especially with home dogs. I think getting a couple points, especially. All right, I, this this is what I'm going to flip on a few times. I'm going to go Jets though. So you're taking Jets plus two and a half, cover two and a half. Yeah, well, I mean, well, they, you know what I mean, they'll yeah. keep it within two and a half. Right. Uh, Browns Eagles. I didn't throw an actual prediction out there. I'll take the Browns in the four points, just because I. I'll take the Browns, whatever. Straight up, even, I think, would, would the Eagles be, are gonna a be legitimate terrible, thought. Right? I, I mean, the think... Browns are going to be bad, but the Eagles are going to be real bad. The only way the Eagles are going to be good is if their defense is better than I can comprehend. So with that, I think the Browns can actually roll in that game. So I'll take the Browns. Right. The well, and the, the Browns own the Eagles' first-round pick, right? Yeah. Are yeah. the Browns going to have like, two of the top five picks in the draft? Is that a virtual lock at this point? There's no lottery, obviously, in the NFL. Yeah, the Eagles are, are in pretty good shape to uh, to have some early picks next yeah. year. I mean, it's going to be a quick rebuild, I think, for Philly. It's going to be a rough year in 2016 before they get there. Uh, Vikings-Titans. Vikings favored by 2.5 on the road. Implied scores 22-19 favoring Minnesota. How many carries for AP this week? Like 30? I mean, how, what's the record for most carries in a game? Oh, probably got to go back. That, to that the might be in jeopardy. helmet era, Nick. Like, you go I don't know. Back. I mean, I think... Whatever whatever the situation is at quarterback for Minnesota, I think they're they're going to have to lean more heavily on AP these first few weeks than they probably ever anticipated doing. You know, well, Sam Bradford gets acclimated, so I think eventually, you know, maybe we see more of Jarek McKinnon because of that, and eventually they probably want to ease the workload on AP, but they're really not going to have much of a choice. I think this is a team that, to me, the Bradford move says we still want to make the playoffs this season. We still think we have good enough talent around the quarterback position to, to make some noise in the postseason. So. I don't think they're in a position where they're okay, you know, dropping a game or two at the beginning of the year while they kind of figure out this Bradford situation. No, I mean, I think they can be fine, but I I like this game from Tennessee's perspective because nobody's really expecting much from them. I think they have enough weapons to be dangerous. And the other mm-hmm. player that I'm interested in, oddly enough, is Delaney Walker. And I, I'm interested now because I got a share in the Beat DVR League last night. I mean, he had big season last year. They, they've added Richard Matthews drafted Tajay Sharp, but I think in close, in the red zone in particular, Walker's still going to be the guy. Anytime they're not running it, the ball's going to be thrown in his direction. Right, they have better weapons around Mariota, but they didn't really improve at the wide receiver spot. I think they added two really good running backs after having basically zero good running backs last year. Um, and you know Delaney Walker is back, but it is still a little bit concerning. I mean, uh, for Mariota, a guy who succeeded throwing downfield, you know, throwing those those kind of deep crossing patterns so much at Oregon with with receivers who could catch and go. 
I don't know if he really has a reliable number one. And you don't necessarily need, you know, you don't need to have an AJ Green on your roster to be successful, but you need to do better than Rashard Matthews and Tajay Sharp. <laughs> yeah, that, that's I mean, the problem. I, ideally, you'd have more, but I think it might be enough. I think I think we may be underestimating what Mariota is capable of as an NFL passer. Maybe the kind of player that can actually elevate a subpar group of pass catchers and make them look a lot better. Uh, let's talk about the Dolphins and Seahawks. Dolphins, 10-point underdogs, as you mentioned earlier. That would come out as like a 27-17 Seahawks win if everything holds up. Are you playing any Dolphins at all this week? Arian Foster, Jay Ajayi, Devontae Parker's banged up. We'll see what he does on Friday, if anything. Jarvis Landry, who we talked about earlier. I mean, is it just bench all Dolphins at all costs? I think for the most part, yeah. I and mean, we talked about this on previous podcasts. I don't really love the the running back situation. I don't trust Darian Foster. I know some people do, uh, but the injuries to me are a little too much. I guess if you're just going, you know, daily fantasy, then maybe you throw Arian Foster in. But I don't love the receivers. Uh, I like Devontae Parker for the long term. I don't like him in week one uh, against the Seattle team on the road. We just talked about Jarvis Landry and the, the kind of risk that he presents. So I'm certainly not going out of my way to play any Dolphins. You know, if you're in a deeper league and you have to go with Parker or Landry as you know, your second or maybe your third receiver, then sure, of course, you're fine with it. But, you know, if you have another capable option and it's kind of a tiebreak scenario, I think you want to bet against Miami this week. Yeah, I think I think you want to stay away. I mean, I think Seattle can blow them out. I think 10's a big number, but I think Seattle's fine. I'm yep. going to take Seattle and give up the 10 points. That Vikings-Titans game, too, I, I keep I keep thinking more about the fantasy implications and not actually making picks, which I want to do on every Thursday pod right. this year. I think Titans, the Titans are actually going to come out with this one. I think they're going to win outright, and they're getting 2.5 points, so I'm definitely taking them with the 2.5. To, to be clear, when you're making these picks, are you going spread or just straight up? Spread. Spread? Yeah. I'm taking the Titans too. I, I I don't trust this Minnesota quarterback situation. You got to wonder, uh, you know, just the general morale uh, of seeing what happened, you know, last week with Bridgewater. I mean, all the reports are that you know it was a guy they love in the locker room, and I don't know how much that really matters, but just the the kind of devastation that it must be to go into a season probably thinking you know you're maybe a dark horse Super Bowl contender, uh, and then have that happen. I think it's kind of it, it's going to be tough to kind of find that motivation. Uh, given all that's happened. I definitely agree with you there. Now, as far as the Seattle-Miami goes, Seattle's run game, of course, is kind of a focal point. If Kristen Michael is going to be the lead guy, is he a top 15 back this week? Is he top 20, 25, 30? Where's that line? I think probably closer to 20, because we don't really know what the split is going to be with Rawls. Um, You know, really... You know, we've seen Christine Michael, I guess, in the past in a reduced role in Seattle, but not a guy I'm willing to trust necessarily in the top 15. And this Dolphins run D isn't great, but it's also not atrocious at the same time. So, yeah, I think to me, he's, he's firmly an RB2, obviously, and probably closer to the 20-25 range. All right, so I'm, I'm taking Seattle, giving up 10, yep. which is wild. Are you doing the same? I think in, in the Pick'em League that, that we're in together against the spread, I think right now I'm going Dolphins. Um, but the more I think about it, you know, 10 seems like a lot in spread terms. It certainly is, but... To me, that the Seattle Seahawks in real football terms are more than 10 points better than, than Miami. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where Miami, everyone's going to overreact to it. 
they're going to lose by double digits, and then they're going to come back with right. a vengeance in the next couple of weeks and be just fine. Like, lo- losing that game by two touchdowns doesn't seem out of the question, right? And you're not, already at 14. Not, not at all, really, when you think about how that Dolphins offense is built. I think if Devontae Parker doesn't play, too, that really hurts them as far as taking one of their mm-hmm. big, deep threats off the field. Uh, Giants are one-point underdogs on the road against the Cowboys. That makes it a 24-23 or 23.5 to 22.5 if you get really technical implied score. Dak against a real defense, though, Nick. I mean, I think it's really going to be an Ezekiel Elliott show. If the Giants can contain Ezekiel Elliott at all, they can come out with the win. This should be one of the better games of the week. I mean, it's yeah. it's going to be a good matchup for a lot of different reasons. Seeing how the two rookies fare will make it a really engaging game from a fantasy standpoint. I think the Giants come out on top. I think so, too. It, it's kind of the same logic, I guess, that I employed with, with Minnesota. I think the Cowboys, if everything... Uh, if everything is equal and they have Tony Romo, that's probably my pick at home. But breaking in Dak Prescott, seeing how this offense looks without Romo, um, you know, I think to me that that's worth a few points, and, and the Giants are able to capitalize there. Yeah, I look at this too as a situation where you look at like Rashad Jennings. If you have Rashad Jennings and Arian Foster, and you're trying to decide on one of them between. Uh, your RB2, your flex spot, I would actually rather play Jennings against yep. Dallas than Foster yep. Absolutely. against Seattle, something along those lines, just to give what, you an idea where where like Jennings' early season value should be. What has to happen for Dallas to win this game? And does, does Dak have to play all that well? Does he just have to play fairly average and not give it away? I mean, do you think that they're going to you know, quote-unquote unleash Dak Prescott and, and let him do all the things that maybe he wants to do? Or is it going to be more of a game-managing type of situation where they pound Ezekiel Elliott and kind of allow Dak, I guess not the freedom that he might otherwise have, you know, if he were a one- or two-year veteran. I mean, mostly it's going to be just managing the game. I think if he turns it over more than once, they're in right. trouble. Like, that's that's their margin of error. I think the Giants' defense could be really good. They've made some yeah. changes. Livier Vernon, Eli Apple, a first-round pick, added the defense as well. Other changes on terms of personnel. I mean, they could be radically better than they were a year ago too. So that's going to be the interesting thing to watch is, you know, where's Jason Pierre Paul? Is he in, in combination with Vernon? Are they going to be a lethal tandem for opposing lines to deal with? Dallas certainly has a good offensive line, mm-hmm. but you know, how much can they get uh, out of Zeke? And then how, how often do they rely on Dak? I think it's going to be a situation though, where he's mostly a game manager in this one. I am using him over Ryan Tannehill in a two quarterback league. I mean, I yeah. think there's probably a half dozen or so quarterbacks at least that if I had to choose Dak versus one of them, I would blindly throw Dak out there and just see what happens. I feel like it's going to go one way or the other for Dak. It's either going to go really well or really poorly. This doesn't, this doesn't seem like it's all setting up for him to just have an average game. Like he's going to score 20-plus fantasy yeah. points or he's going to get single digits? Like right. those are the two outcomes? Right. Yeah, I mean, it's it does have a feast or famine feel mm-hmm. to it. Uh, but I'm taking the Giants. I think they come out on yeah. top. I think it's going to be close. I think I'm it's going to be a good game. And I'm looking forward to watching that one. Uh, Lions, three-and-a-half-point dogs going up against the Colts. I don't like either one of these teams. Over-under very high, 51-and-a-half. Might even be a tick higher than that Saints-Raiders game we talked about. Colts, 28. Lions, 24 is your implied score. Apparently, Andrew Luck has some fraying in his labrum, but he's not a big deal. He's even played mean? through what? it. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't like. <laughs> that the doesn't sound seem of like it. something that should be happening in an arm. I've got two shares, and that's a, that's a pitching problem that guys get in baseball season too. I mean, these, these to me are two bad football teams. Like I, yes. from a fantasy standpoint, there's going to be something there because T. Y. Hilton, Dante Moncrief, Philip Dorsett. I mean, they're going to be productive. I think Luck apparently is fine even with that injury. Stafford might be able to pick apart the Indianapolis defense. They've got some injuries, and they're not very good. I expect a shootout, and uh, I think. 
I think I want I think I want the Colts side of this one, but again, this is one of the two or three games I'm going to go back yep. and forth on between now and kickoff on Sunday. And this says a lot about the Colts because I don't think anybody's on the Lions. I'm not on the Lions. I don't think this, the Lions are probably a bottom seven team for me. And the Colts, if they play up to their potential offensively, should blow out this Detroit team at home. But we really haven't seen the Colts play like that offensively since close to the end of 2014. And you know, this fraying in the labrum certainly isn't a good sign for a guy who had a ton of injury issues, a lacerated spleen. Um, you never want to use the word laceration. Like that only seems that seems to most commonly come in with a spleen for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. To me, I think I want to see it happen with the Colts. I'm still going to pick them at home because I, I dislike the Lions that much. But yeah, this, this Colts team, I don't think steps right back in and, and kind of plows over the AFC South as they had for a few years straight there. Reluctantly, I'm taking the Colts, giving up three and a half, subject to change between now and Sunday. So if you feel yeah. confident, stick with your gut. Don't trust mine. Uh, Patriots getting six on the road against Arizona, 47 and a half is the over-under. That seems a little high for Jimmy Garoppolo yeah. being in there. You got Rob Gronkowski on the injury report already, not 100% as he's dealing with a hamstring injury. No indication that he's actually going to miss the game yet, but it's a Sunday night game, so that makes things even more complicated. Implied score here is Cards 27, Patriots 21. That seems like a big number for Arizona to cover, so I would just take the Pats and the points as far as getting that plus that six. Seem, yeah. Because I think the, the Patriots, even when, they, when they're not playing well, they do enough. Like, right. They just do enough to hang around. They'll game plan yeah. effectively. They'll make Carson Palmer look silly. I mean, they'll, they'll find... They'll find a way to take away some of the key weapons in the Arizona offense and keep the game very close, even if the cards end up winning. Mm-hmm. No, that's exactly right. I, I think Arizona wins this game, but I think New England comes out of it looking pretty decent. Um, I mean, it, the problem is, though, like, no, if, if the Patriots lose this game, it's going to be panic mode all week in the media, right? Uh, yeah, but I'll ignore it, so it'll be fine. Right. Except for Doria. I'll talk to Doria. Yeah, well, your, your entire lot, that league that you went to Vegas for last weekend your entire team is playing in this game, right? You have the, you just went all Patriots? We stacked Patriots. Um, I, I didn't really want to, but we did. wasn't your choice. wasn't up to me. This is the, the man who tacked an In-N-Out burger uh, hat to his wall today. <laughs> he loves In-N-Out. What, what can we, who doesn't? What else can we say? Um, no, I mean, I, where are you at on, on the value of LeGarrette Blunt in this game? He, I have a couple. I have him, uh, I think, in two leagues, and I'm kind of deciding between him and I think it's Amir Abdullah in one league, and him and, and Jonathan Stewart in the other. I like Blunt more than Stewart, but I like Abdullah more than Blunt, uh, assuming, just, assuming there's anything like the given for PPRs. Be there. Well, it, it takes the pressure off of Garoppolo if they right. can establish the run. If, exactly. if Blunt can run it 15, 17 times, get four and a half yards a pop, and just keep the clock moving, that's good yeah. for the Patriots. Well, it's just a, it's that paradox that we always talk about, where are you going to stack a line against an inexperienced quarterback where you can't run, or if you're that team with the inexperienced quarterback, are you just going to pound the run because you don't want to pass that much? Like, we don't really know how it's going to turn out. Right. That's that's the, the big key. But I, I think the Patriots can scheme with their personnel effectively enough where regardless of what Arizona tries to limit, they'll do something else that works. And I think mm-hmm. if Garrett Blunt is part of that solution. You know, they he's not necessarily going to rip off long runs, but all he's he has definitely to do, not going to do that. If he can just help them get out of like lo- third and long situations, which I think he can, that's what's going to keep this game close. And the Patriots' defense, I think, is actually pretty good. Like that's that's the other wrinkle, I guess, when I'm looking at New England right now. Uh, Steelers are three point underdogs, or three point favorites rather, going on the road to Washington. Implied score twenty seven twenty four. Steelers. Uh, the real question with Pittsburgh: Who is the next option? behind Antonio Brown. I think D'Angelo Williams will be a great play this week as he 
often was last year in the absence of Le'Veon Bell. I think if you have one of Sammy Coates or Eli Rogers or Marcus Wheaton, Wheaton's the one you rely on for now, but you probably don't feel that good about it. Yep, uh, I agree with you on that. I think this is Wheaton's job for the time being. I don't think it would surprise too many people if Sammy Coates, once he gets a few more snaps under his belt, maybe ends up sneaking in there. If you get to choose between just looking at this game individually, if you, for some reason, have Garcon and Marcus Wheaton, which number two are you favoring? I would go... There might not be a right answer. I would go Marcus Wheaton. I think there are a few more options that that uh, Washington can mix in, whereas Pittsburgh seems like they're a little less proven depth-wise. So that that's the edge. It's, it's tiny. Like There's a very little difference between those two players for, for this week. Uh, we get two Monday night games this week. One will be interesting. One might not be interesting at all. This will be interesting for the same reason that Cleveland Philly is, though. Well, yeah, I guess because the teams are relative unknowns. Well, also, before we get to that, the first Monday night game, Steelers minus three. I'm taking the Steelers. I think they're going to win on the road, and they're going to win by more than three. So I, I, don't, I don't think Washington's good. I think Washington's going to look good when they play against the other NFC East teams, and when they go out of division especially, those are the matchups in which they're going to be exposed. Are they a playoff team again to you? Mm, no. I think I think Who's the, winning that division? I think the Giants, the Giants are winning that division. I think the Giants okay. are the best team in the NFC East. And that might be nine and seven, ten and six. Ten and six probably. Ten and six probably takes that. Yeah. Maybe maybe by two games. Yeah. I, again, the improvement on defense, the continuity on the offense is is kind of a big deal too. But yikes. Uh, but the Rams Niners game, Rams are favored by two and a half in San Francisco, over under somehow forty three and a half, which would be like a twenty three twenty game favoring the Rams. Case Keenum and Blaine Gabbard are going to find a way to score forty three combined points. I just don't see it. Keeping on Carlos Hyde, he's got that concussion. We'll see if he's fully cleared, ready to go um, as we move to the Friday injury report. But how are you? How are you seeing either one of these teams scoring more than twenty points this week? I mean, Todd Gurley just single handedly. Tavon Austin maybe owning. brings back like four punts. I don't. Special that's the teams. only thing that seems like more of a lock to me than Case Keenum throwing a touchdown. I don't know. This is going to be interesting. I mean, half the half the country is going to tune out on this game. Right? It's a nine twenty central start. Yeah, half the country is just going to fall asleep right. in recliners. Great day of football if you're on the west coast. If you're on the east coast, maybe not so much. Yeah, the double Monday night game. I've never been a big fan of it for week one. It seems kind of unnecessary. Yeah. I'd, I'd rather actually. I'd rather have them have them play like a Friday night game or something extra just to yeah. mix that in, and that would be more interesting to me than right. having well, a second give, game. We have, this is like the worst college football weekend of all time, too. Like throw a Saturday night game. Is it in that there. bad? There's no ranked versus ranked games. The best game of the week is being played at a NASCAR track. What? Yeah, Tennessee Virginia Tech's playing at, in the infield at Bristol. Wow, I should have listened to the Wednesday college football pod episode. Or the, the forthcoming NASCAR pod. Yeah, I hope there's never a NASCAR <laughs> pod. I, I, reluctantly, I'll take the Rams giving up the two and a half because I think the Niners are awful, and maybe Chip will finally deliver on some of the um, expectations we had for him like last year with lesser personnel, but I I don't see it. I, I think the Rams grind it out. And I think so, too. Like four. Yeah, I, I think... Even though this is mostly the same team from last year, there's still somewhat of an aura, I guess, of moving and starting anew. This is the, you know, the, the first game of, of the new era of, of L.A. football. I don't know. Maybe that counts for something. If you can't tell, I'm just kind of scratching and clawing to find some indication of where this game goes. I mean, these are two teams that are bottom five overall. I mean, the Rams defense, I guess, if, if you want to look towards something, that maybe tips it their favor. 
I guess I that, it's that's, not going to that, be good. That's the thing. That, the Rams that's, that's do the best have, unit of the two. I mean, the Rams sure. might have the top like four players in this game. That's that's a crazy who's, thought. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not an, an expert on the St. Louis defense, I guess. But who's who even is San Francisco's best player at this point? Carlos Hyde went Carlos healthy, Hyde, yeah. but that's that's a big if as we it's, head into Friday. Well, yeah. I'm taking the Rams. I'm I'm not great, not strong on it, but stronger than I am on some of the other games out there because again, week one, one of the more challenging weeks uh, to make picks because it's just uh, so many unknowns as new personnel kind of tries to mesh together for the first time in a meaningful sort of way. It's going to wrap things up for today's episode of the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by NoHalftime.com. Enjoy the opener on Thursday night. Tim and I are back with you on Friday. Napa A Napa guy knows that by the foot, there's no better ride than an old station wagon. Room for six people facing forward, two people facing backward, and a whole lot of luggage, lumber, and bicycles haphazardly strapped to the roof. If you can parallel park that beast, you can park anything. And with some quality parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep your land ship running longer, stronger. It's not obsolete. It's a rare treasure. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.